Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio Cooking all kinds of food is a little like learning different languages. Being a chef has taught me a lot about people and cultures. It's given me the dramatic and very humble position to cook for, love, and care for people in many different settings. It teaches me to respect the planet and all of its ingredients. And I continue to thrive on discovery, taking on challenges, finding poetry in moments, because the art is in the details. I'm grateful that you've tuned in. This is your culinary, culture, and lifestyle show that celebrates food and wine, health and tech, travel and all things delicious. It's a place for people who love to cook or love to eat or as I like to say, anyone that has passion. And I'll keep you updated on the food scene. We'll take deep explorations of a broad range of culinary topics. So please stay tuned because you just might learn something. And I say you should set your culinary sights higher, of course. I'm giving you a reason to overeat with this show. This is my 20th year on the radio and such a blessing. And we're celebrating 2022 with grand culinary thinkers, with great inquiring minds, with delicious dishes and extraordinary inspiration. And I'm always serving up seconds, by the way, outside of this show at chefjamie.com where you'll find thousands of free recipes. So please check it out. And I hope you'll become a friend and a fan on social media at Chef Jamie Gwen, where I share my daily shameless dish or two or a few for that matter. All right, let's get this party started, shall we? I like to kick off the show with a tutorial of sorts, one to make you the best cook you know. It might be a humble dish or something a little more fancy. Uh, it might be something extremely elegant or a, a daily offering, really. And if you don't love granola, well, I don't know, then you're missing something maybe. There's something beautiful about the crunch, right? And the fact that you can make granola from just about anything in your pantry. We know that it was a trend-setting recipe during the last two years of cooking at home. That and banana bread, sourdough bread, and so much more. But I am still trying to clean out my pantry from a bit of overbuying. And so I made a few batches of granola at the start of the year and... So far, every recipe I end up deeming a keeper recipe, and I thought it was time that we dished on granola again. I think it forces us to get out of our comfort zone when we have to look around the kitchen cupboard or the pantry or the refrigerator, and you might not find everything normally available, right? But you can make something from nothing, in fact, and granola falls under that statement. Now, I typically make a homemade granola with some sort of nut and oats as the base, and I frequently add a dried fruit after baking, by the way, one of the many important secrets. Now, 
I have favorite nuts to use for granola. Um, I like to go pistachio most often or a mix of pistachio and almond. You can go walnut or even pine nut. Um, and even mixed nuts will do. If you have some cocktail nuts left over, I'll tell you they make a glorious granola, in fact. But recently, I've been big on cinnamon. And so my current recipes are cinnamon-infused. There's this really wonderful warmth and comforting flavor that cinnamon creates. And I love it. And granola is great for snacks, but you can try it with your choice of milk. It makes a wonderful homemade cereal, of course, especially with oat milk, if you haven't have it, had it that way lately, rather. But you make yourself a pan of a, a cozy mixture and you store it in an airtight jar or tub Or you make two batches and you share it with a neighbor as a sweet reminder that we are all trying to get through these times together, right? And then you make it your daily breakfast or a usual lunch, uh, or you can use it as a sweet snack after dinner. Now, I find that a, a good granola can become almost as important as your morning coffee. Almost. There's something about the crunchy baked clusters and, and the bursts of fruity sweetness that sort of wake up my taste buds and give me fuel to make it through the morning. I might even go as far as saying that eating granola makes me happy. It does. Um, the coffee might be partially credited for that, but I do love granola. And I think that baking up a batch every couple of weeks is a really nice ritual, something you can do with your kids or get your family involved. And unlike the store-bought alternative, you get to create the perfect balance of fruit, nut, grain, sweetness, and richness that you want. Now, thinking of all the granola possibilities gave me um, an opportunity, I should say, to dig a little deeper. Now, there are three standard variations on a traditional granola. There's the classic, and then there's a more candy than breakfast style, and then there's a super savory. And each of them start with the same simple formula, right? You bake a mixture of oats and nuts with some sort of liquid to glaze at 300 degrees for 30 minutes, stirring occasionally. Then you cool it and stir in the dried fruit. Now, if you're cooking your your granola any higher, you're not actually drying it out well enough. And it might take longer dependent upon the quantity of granola that you're making. But I think low and slow is the way to go. Now, the glaze can be maple syrup or honey and brown sugar or a combination of the aforementioned. Some people use oil. Some people use oil and butter combined. You need some liquid to create caramelization here, or at least good caramelization. And as for flavors, you need to find your most addictive mix. So mine, I know, is a salty sweet granola that has um, dried cherries, pistachios, and coconut flakes with a good helping of salt to offset the sweet. And because most granola recipes call for shuffling the oats around every 10 minutes or so in the oven, um, I have searched for and tested a technique that I think is genius so that there's no need. In fact, you should not have to stir. And the secret is all about two sheet pans. By baking granola pressed between two baking sheets and never stirring, 
you allow the sticky, slow toasting oats to fuse into one big crispy brown sheet. It's like a thin, very good granola bar. And what you do is break it up into whatever size clumps you desire. And thanks to the extra insulation and the diffused heat from the top sheet tray, when you're baking low and slow, you really are guaranteed almost a granola that doesn't burn. And that is the way that I honor granola. Yes, I do love granola, in fact. And it's just time to make a batch, don't you think? All right, it's time for food news as well. Time for some news you can use, in fact, when it comes to the food world. Food and Wine has officially named the top food destination. Actually, according to TripAdvisor, an Italian city was named the best destination for food lovers based on ratings. And we know TripAdvisor is used quite widely. Every year, they announce the top destination in the world. 71% of Americans said they are likely to travel for leisure in 2022. And where are they going? Well, they're flocking to Rome. The Eternal City was named the top destination for food lovers. And outside of food, by the way, Mallorca, Spain, was named the most trending destination. But Rome wasn't built in a day, and so you will need more time than just a couple of days to take in the timeless city. I happen to love the food in Rome as well, but there are so many glorious places to go. TripAdvisor says, by the way, that the top 10 go uh, just like this. If you're looking to eat well, go to Rome or London, Paris or Dubai, Barcelona, Madrid, Sao Paulo, New York, Bangkok, and last but not least, Singapore. Right now, let me tell you, um, I would like to go just about anywhere, but we're staying put and staying safe as I'm sure many of you are. And so I'm eating vicariously through my radio. And coming up next, you'll be able to do just the same. Chef Francisco Magoya is here of modernist cuisine fame, and he always has something insightful to share. So please stay tuned. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The delicious conversation continues right after this. Cheers and a toast to you, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio. The modern mixologist is back, and we're toasting to 2022 because Tony Abu Ghanem is pouring. Tony is widely regarded, as you all know, as a pioneer in the bar world, the author of The Modern Mixologist and Vodka Distilled, both award-winning books, and a partner in the Mandalay Bay Las Vegas gastropub hotspot, which I love, Libertine Social, and Highlands in Detroit. And because it's 2022, there are some cocktails poised 
for a comeback. A new year always brings new sippers, and I love that. We're catching up with Tony Abu Ghanem. Happy New Year, my friend. Hey, Jamie. Happy hmm. New Year. Nice to be on the show. Thank you, and glad to have you back. Okay, so the Aperol Spritz, per your crystal ball forecast, has uh, certainly... Um, had its comeback over the past few years. The espresso martini made its way back too. Uh, For whatever reason, there are drinks that keep creeping back into our consciousness, right? But I love that you will forecast for us the trends to sip and savor for this coming year. So thank you. Uh, what uh, What is on the horizon? Tell us. Well, I have always been a fan of the cosmopolitan. It follows that basic New Orleans sour recipe of strong spirit, orange liqueur, and some type of citrus. And when made with great ingredients, it's a beautifully balanced drink that I think deserves uh, to be, you know, one of the all-time classic cocktails. And the drinks that we're talking about are really classics that fall out of favor for whatever reason. The Moscow Mule comes to mind immediately. Um, you know, this was a drink that really launched vodka's popularity overall in the United States in the early 1940s, and then for some reason fell out of favor for years and has made a, a just a gallant comeback. And yes. virtually any decent bar today is serving a Moscow Mule and its you know namesake copper mug. So, mm. And I love I, it. I, you know that. I love a Moscow Mule. And a piece of candied ginger or crystallized ginger puts it over the top for me. Oh, absolutely. And it opens up so many different variations, yes. too. By changing out the base spirit, you can have a Kentucky Mule or an Irish Mule or a, you know, a Mescal Mule. And it's just a, it's a beautiful, simple. And I think that's what's so beautiful about a lot of these drinks, Jamie, is there, the beauty lies in the simplicity. Yes. It's the choice of those ingredients and how you blend them together that make them more than the sum of the parts. I love that. And, and I love that the variations on the cocktails uh, propel us to new flavor profiles. So when we talk about forecasting the year in cocktails, this very much applies to like, save your jeans, what's old is new again, right? Everything is rooted somewhere. And you just said mezcal mule. Okay, fabulous, right? Now we're adding that smoky component to something that we know and love already, and we're amping up the flavor. I think that's brilliant. Uh, What else is uh, in your forecast? I think Sparkling wine cocktails are, are going to be uh, all the rage. Um, oh, I love it. I think we're, see- we're seeing people drinking lighter mm-hmm. uh, things, especially as we move into the warmer weather. Yes. You had mentioned the Aperol Spritz. You know, Spritz is a great example of a sparkling wine cocktail. Mm. Uh, and as we toast 2022, I can't even hardly, those. it doesn't roll off the tongue yet. No, uh, I, I haven't gotten it right on a check yet, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> But no better way to toast the new year than with bubbles. Oh, and definitely. We've talked about drinks like the French 75, yes. which is one of my favorite sparkling wine uh, cocktails. And there's a little unknown factoid, Jamie, that in France, uh, it's rumored that one out of every 10 bottles of champagne actually goes into cocktails and not just into a flute. 
Oh, how how fascinating that that anyone is willing to admit to that. Right? Right? Again, it just, to me, it it, it shows that this is kind of one of those uh, lost and forgotten areas that silently kind of still there and still exists. um, You know, just a simple champagne cocktail Mm. when I don't really know what I want to drink. And I'm, you know, I'm not thinking martini or, uh, you know, Negroni. Yes. I think it's just a light, beautiful, refreshing aperitif. That's a great go-to. You're right. When you when you're just not sure, it's like that fallback recipe, right? You don't know what to make for dinner, but you always have something in your back pocket that you can make from memory that you have on hand. The ingredients. Um, I like that. Thank you. Champagne cocktail. I'll keep that top of mind. Speaking of rumors, Tony, um, I've heard rumor that the mocktail and the lower alcohol cocktail is on the rise. Um, We're still in a pandemic as far as I'm concerned. I have a very young child. So in our house, we are still in a pandemic. Um, It makes little sense to me, really. Um, But are people looking for lower ABV, alcohol by volume? Well, we've talked about uh, the aperitif hour and those lower ABV type of drinks um, that, you, you know, you stop and have after work, before dinner, kind of prime the appetite. Um, vermouth, aromatized wines, um, Americanos, things like this. Uh, I love that. I I love the whole concept of of lower alcohol, more sessionable drinking. I I personally, I'm with you. I have not bought into the non-alcoholic mocktails uh, yet, but I am seeing more and more of this. Interesting. Thank you for forecasting the spirit industry for us, what to watch for in 2022. I'm sticking to my vodka. You know that. I, I, I'm, I know that. I'm loyal. I'm not going anywhere. But, uh, but I'm all for flavor shift and growth and new insight. And so we appreciate you pulling out your crystal ball and keeping us on trend, of course. Um, let's talk again come spring, please, so that we can stir up something new and delicious. You can find Tony's cocktail escapades. I didn't even ask you, Tony. I sort of just told you, huh? So you will come back, right? <laughs> I love coming back, Good. Jamie, always. I, I appreciate it. You can find Tony's Cocktail Escapades at modernmixology.com, and you should follow him on social, of course, at MDRN Mixologist. Ah, Tony, before you go, uh, your uh, big awards are coming up. It's next month, right? Yes, the Tag Global Spirits Awards. It's a large celebration and festival of spirits here in Las Vegas being held at the Delano Hotel, the beautiful Delano oh, go- Hotel. Gorgeous. 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 Um, February 23rd through the 26th, and a lot of events for consumers. So if any of you out there are spirit enthusiasts, tag spiritsawards.com. You awesome. can get more information on the festive dinners, the mm. educational track, the tastings. Um, it's going to be fantastic four days of celebrating spirits here in Las Vegas. I love it. I wish I could be there this year, Tony, next year. Next year, it's a date, Jamie. Yeah, it's a date. You got it. Tony Abuganum in your radio. Cheers, Tony, and thank you. All right. If you're not thirsty already, well, then I didn't do my job. (laughs) There is more to satiate your appetite in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away.
Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. When I say we have the greatest culinary thinkers on this show, this gentleman is a testament to that. Master Chef Francisco Magoya is back. He is the head chef and co-author behind the James Beard award-winning Modernist Bread and the new culinary Bible Modernist Pizza. He elevated the kitchens of restaurants, including the French Laundry, Bouchon Bakery, River Cafe. And he once again joins us to teach you the secrets, this time continuing the conversation of making the definitive version of the world's best loved food, using science and history to unlock the secrets of everyone's favorite, pizza, Nathan Mirvold and Francisco Magoya's groundbreaking modernist set is the culmination of four years of research, travel, and experiments. It spans 1,700 pages in three volumes with a recipe manual. It is entitled Modernist Pizza, and it is so much more than a book. It is the history and science from deep dish to Neapolitan. It's a deep dive into the diverse world of pizza, and Chef Francisco Magoya is back. He leads the culinary team and has been recognized as the top pastry chef and chocolatier in the U.S. and the top chef on culinary science. And I'm very glad to have you back on the radio, Francisco. Thank you for being here, Chef. Yes, it's uh, <laughs> great to be here. Thanks for asking me on the show. Again. Yes, yes, of course. What a privilege. Um, you created one of the best doughs ever for the new book. You use it with the Neapolitan pizza. Is it a secret mm-hmm. recipe? It's very production-friendly, you talk about. Is it as close to what you offered in the book? Uh, well, I mean, that, yes, I mean, that, yes. that sauce, I mean, I don't, I mean, that dough, I'm sorry, I don't know that it's, it's secret. I don't want to, you know, spoil it uh, <laughs> with, you know, giving it all away, but um, it was a dough that took us a long time to get to, mm-hmm. mostly because when we were, performing experiments on this dough, it was easily a hundred different experiments on, wow. the, on the same dough in which we tried different fermentation times, different uh, um, fermentation temperatures. Uh, you know, there, there were so many variables that we tested. Uh, and one of the variables was actually something that we were just testing for the sake of completion, right? I mean, you, when, you're, when you're doing experiments, uh, sometimes you know that you're doing an experiment that is not exactly, or you think it won't exactly have an impact or a significant impact, but you do it because if you tested all of, you know, X, Y, and Z variables, then we should also test, you know, X1, Y1, and Z1 variables just for the sake of completion. Mm. And so this particular recipe, what it did uh, when it when we actually baked it, it was, it really opened our eyes to, you know, why it was, so different um, in its in its method and why it was working so well for us um, because it wasn't something that we really expected. But those are the things that happen when you're very thorough of, and of when course. you're really doing like conscientious effort yes. uh, to try the best, find the best recipe that you possibly can. With this perfect dough, can you share some of the secrets? Can you discuss flour first, please? Because if we're making pizza dough at home, that's right. the first decision one needs to make. Yeah, I, you know, the thing with, and it really depends on what type of pizza you're making, because I wouldn't say that you can use the same flour and ex- for like Neapolitan pizza dough and expect to have the same results for like a Roman Right. Dough, right. Sure. So, uh, Neapolitan pizza dough requires a flour that is 
going to be strong, but not super strong like I would need for Roman. Like for Roman, it's a dough. And by Roman, I mean like the Altaglia, the, the large like sheet pan size pizzas. Um, those are, are going to require a much stronger flour because they need to stretch, they need to extend, mm. um, they need to hold a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Neapolitan pizza dough is a dough that doesn't need to be too strong. I need to be able to, you know, take my ball of dough, stretch it very quickly, put sauce and cheese on it, and bake it. It needs to take like 60 seconds, 75 seconds, um, and it puffs up nicely on the rim. So it's, it's going to be a different flour. Now, if you have experience making doughs and with pizza in general, it gets easier to perhaps not have the ideal flour because you know what things to do to adjust for the type of flour you have. So I would say an experienced pizza maker could use like all-purpose flour to make pretty much any pizza. Uh, but if you're starting out, I do recommend, uh, we really like for Neapolitan pizza, this type of flour that's called double O. Yes. Um, specifically for Neapolitan, because double O, what double O stands for is how fine the particle size of flour is uh, and how white it is, meaning there's no, like, bran or germ in it. It doesn't, it, there's, you can have a type double O for making cookies and a type double O for making panettone, and these mm. are very different mm. strengths. So in the U.S., we're more used to saying, you know, all-purpose flour or bread flour or cake flour, and it, these are all markers of strength. Yes. where uh, the Italian category is double O, which is the finest, widest. Then there's type O, which has a little bit of bran and germ, larger particle size. Then there's type 1, which has bran and germ, larger particle size, even, even more than type O. And then there's type 2, which is practically whole wheat flour. Would you discuss yeast, please? Because we're talking the yes. basics of dough, flour, yeast, mm-hmm. water, and then mm-hmm. the variables, sugar, salt, and olive oil, right? I, that's that's right. it. If we're talking about Neapolitan, there's no, not even olive oil in there. Right. It's flour, water, salt, and yeast. But yeast, if you're using commercial yeast, I would always recommend utilizing the instant dry type of yeast versus active dry. Uh, instant dry has uh, more live yeast cells per weight than active dry. And that's mm. why the process for making active dry yeast is a lot more aggressive on the yeast so you have more dead yeast cells in there and that's why you have to use like hot water to kind of bloom it and activate it oh how interesting with instant yeast yeah with instant yeast it's a lot gentler on the yeast so you it's a lot more uh alive if you will once you incorporate into the dough so that would be my recommendation the living organism that it is Uh, as far as water do you have a a Uh humble opinion because the the new york bagel always right. prized, right, um, is steeped, no pun intended, uh, in, uh-huh. in the water choice. Uh, what's your yeah. go-to? Uh, I don't have a humble opinion. I have a very strong opinion on it. <laughs> because, yes, please, and please share uh, it. Yeah, because the, the whole water thing, the, the mysticism that people, like, uh, you know, give to, like, you need to use a special water from either New York City or Naples or what have you, is a story, and it's a fairy tale at best. Uh, it's not anything that is scientifically proven to be true. The water that you want to use for your dough is the water that you would drink. If you would drink it, if it doesn't smell like anything, if it doesn't taste like anything, if it's not slimy, if it's not cloudy, mm-hmm. this is water that you would drink. 
whether you have very clean tap water or a good filter, that's the water you should use. And then yeah. uh, leave us with your thoughts on salt, please. Are you using kosher yeah. salt in your kitchens? I do, uh, mostly because it's, it's a larger crystal size than table salt. Yes. Um, and so it takes it a little bit longer to dissolve. But it's, I don't want to use like large crystal salt like you know, Malden or Fleur de Sel or Sel Gris, which are good for finishing steaks and you know, putting on you know, tomato salad and what have you. But for dough, if you have like this, this big rock of salt, it's not going to disperse evenly in the dough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kosher salt is good. Um, if you have it, I would recommend it. It's, it's a good all-around salt for making doughs, for baking, and so forth. Uh, table salt, like I said, it's really too fine, um, and it gets in the dough a little too fast for me. So I, I would recommend using kosher salt. Thank you. Good. All right. Now we just have to head to the kitchen and practice, 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 because you proved over four yeah. years, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Practice makes perfect when it comes right. to the ultimate pizza dough of choice. And there are so many beautiful doughs in the recipe book to choose from. I started at the beginning uh, and I Mm -hmm. am um, always looking to learn. Um, So Mm -hmm. I am using my modernist pizza volumes to better my pizza making, chef, and your insight and genius and passion um, always elevates us. So I thank you. I hope you will consider coming back and talking homemade ricotta and sauce and all the wonderful toppings as we continue to explore modernist pizza. Um, But I'm always grateful when you grace this show. I follow at F. Magoya, as so many thousands and hundreds and thousands of us do. And you make me hungry every day. I, I, I'm, there's a sweet somewhere. I always want to lick my phone when I see your posts. <laughs> I do. Um, but once again, congratulations. Modernist Pizza, All the Buzz, recently released the definitive guide from Modernist Cuisine to the world's most popular food. 1,700 pages, 3,700 photos, over 1,000 recipes. It is an encyclopedia of genius, and Francisco Magoya is at the helm. Thank you, Chef, once again. I wish you a delicious day, and we can't wait to have you back. Always a pleasure. Thank Thank you, you, thank you. As the delicious conversation continues, now I'm ready for a slice, aren't you? (laughs) Grab a snack. Come on back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Don't go away. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Welcome back. New year, new you. We always start the year hopeful, right? Staying committed to those goals and resolutions is the hard part. But Lisa Lynn to the rescue. Lisa is the founder of Lynn Fit Nutrition and the author of the award-winning The Metabolism Solution. Lisa created the Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Metabolic Boosting Weight Loss System. She regularly appears with Dr. Oz to share her workouts and insight And it's our first of many 2022 conversations with our resident fitness and nutrition expert. And I always love when Lisa is back to whip us into shape. Happy New Year to you, Lisa. Healthy and well? Yes. Yes. Happy, healthy New Year to you as well. Thank you. Kindly. Uh, Okay. 
Uh, let's uh, check ourselves for January, shall we? Uh, lots of lots of challenging conversations, only because I want to stick to my goals too. But the stress is the stress level is rising, and so there are a few things that many of us consider doing to sort of jumpstart. One of them is cleansing, and you talk a lot about it, and it's really good insight. And totally, and, and you know, I get it. The stress is real. The fight is not over, like you and I. So what do we do when we're stressed? I don't drink, and I don't smoke, and I'll leave the other one alone that I don't do. But you gotta eat, right? Who <laughs> and actually is. One of the oldest inventions in the book to de-stress is to eat. So I want to put everybody at ease. I'm not going to tell you to drink some disgusting juice because they're not good for you anyway, and they're jacking up blood sugar. There are some really simple things people can do to cleanse that you might be doing already. It's just a few changes of what you put on things. And this, by the way, is good for the gut. It's good for the intestines. We know that there are benefits to cleansing. It's good to drop a few holiday pounds, as you say. But if you do it the wrong way, as I read in your blog, you can gain weight from cleansing. You can block fat burning, right? So there are pros and cons to it. Totally. You can also weaken your immune system. One, blood sugar boost. Two, you're stripping your micro biome, you know, your flora, which we need. So the solution is to clean out the bad and restore the good, which is easier to think like, keep the coffee, but take the cream and sugar out of it. I know, I know that was my hardest too. But the fact is, there are some really easy ways to, um, I use the little frother in my black coffee because it makes a little fun. (laughs) It makes me feel like it's better. That's smart. Really good, delicious coffee that tastes good. So you don't have to add all that stuff for step one. Who can't do that? I I agree with you. And by the way, I'm not giving up coffee. I don't care what you say. I adore you. But really. I I would never tell people to because it's really good for our brains and our body. Yes. Okay, good. So you've started in the morning. Give us more basics without the juice cleanse or the 10-day. What else in our daily regimen can we do to cleanse in the, the loosest sense of the term? The other one that people really gloss over is, you know, intermittent fasting is huge, and I've always been a fan. It means, I call it, tape the mouth, Lisa, you know, brush your teeth, go to bed, do anything, but stop eating at a certain point. I do that. Whatever that time is, maybe your day runs late, let's say 7.30 at night, wait a minimum of 12 hours. I At 53, I have to push to 14. My body's a little slower than it was at 33. And I'll go 14 hours. I do get up and have black coffee and take my supplements, but I don't start food or putting anything caloric in my body 12 to 14 hours. It is the easiest, most effective thing you can do regardless of your goal. Okay, I have to agree with you 100,000%. And I will tell you, and you and I talk offline, so you know this, I've always been a fan as well, but because my job is to eat, uh, we call that research and development, it's always been a challenge. <laughs> yes, of course. Great excuse. And I can't, you know, my background was with Martha Stewart, who used to think she had to starve herself. I had to educate her. Yes. That's not starving. That's how things were back in the day when we actually didn't have diabetes and disease. Right. So that is a, think about it. If you do 14 hours, the majority of your day was no food cleansing. And the most important time to do that is at night. Not these crazy OMAD eat one meal a day 
you, when you're moving, your body needs energy. If you provide it, you'll stay healthy. You won't slow your metabolism. So use that nighttime as a fast. It'll, it'll, it's one of the best anti-aging things you could do as well. As we embark on 2022, thank you for being our resident expert and for, uh, for the, as I forecast the rest of the year, for the year being there for us. Lisa is dedicated to helping you get in the best shape of your life, physically, mentally, spiritually. There's so much to learn at linfit.com. It's L-Y-N-F-I-T.com. And you should follow on social at Lisa Lynn Fitness. I'll talk to you soon, Lise. I'm going to drink my water. Have a good one. Okay, you too. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of gastronomic inspiration. I'm thankful that you were here to open your mind and expand your palate. And I hope you'll tune in every weekend to gain delicious knowledge on the wonderful world of food. I'll leave you with my last bite for this week, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation. It's a recipe of five ingredients or less, and this is all new, in fact. I happen to very much appreciate store-bought fresh pasta. Yes, there is a beauty to making it yourself. Yes, I buy dry pasta in a box. But when you need dinner in a jiffy, because delicious food does not have to be difficult, a container of store-bought fresh ravioli or tortellini is a godsend, really. And this is how I up my ravioli game. So I'll put a pot of water on to boil, salted of course, and when it comes to a boil, just before I add the ravioli, I throw in a small bunch of basil uh, with the stems removed for about 15 seconds. I take the basil out of the hot water Uh, I drain it, of course. I dump it in the blender and I add good quality extra virgin olive oil. I blend until the basil is infusing its flavor deep into that oil. I add the juice of a lemon. I season with salt and pepper. And then I go about boiling the ravioli as you would according to package directions. I then drain them into a bowl. I pour the basil water over. I throw in a handful of cut cherry tomatoes. And right now they're colorful and sweet as candy. And I have ravioli with tomato and basil dressing. And I'll tell you, it's delicious. I will share the recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram on my page at Chef Jamie Gwen, and I hope you'll check it out. And I'll meet you here next weekend when there is guaranteed lots more fabulous food in your radio. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I thank you for listening once again. Please stay healthy, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.